dear listener, and welcome to the 13th episode of the Metacast Crypto Corners. My name is Nicola Vereke, or Nico for short, and today I'm joined by Tim Shell, Lord of a Few, and Three Wave. And now I feel kind of awkward having said my full name with a bunch of anons on. But anyway, <laughs> today, as you might infer, we are talking about something which is hardcore Web3. Um, it's one of my favorite subjects in the space, and it is loot. So um, Loot burst onto the NFT scene exactly 166 days ago, as we are recording this on the 9th, um, on August 27th. It was created by Dom Hoffman, and um, pretty soon after its launch, it's on enormous amount of attention when Loot bag holders were rewarded with Adventure Golds, the you know so-called gold of the Lootverse um, that was instantly worth like 50k or something insane per bag. Uh, but since then, attention in the mainstream NFT space for loot has been slowly subsiding. Um, many people that I talk to that don't know what's going on assume that you know loot is a failed project because and they think that everyone abandoned it. But the goal of our podcast today is to prove that nothing could be further from the truth, um, and the loot community is still actually thriving. So uh, before we dive in, maybe quickly, um, guys, give a quick intro about yourself, what's your backgrounds, and um, what are you currently working on within the Lootverse? There's two people on that we already talked. Um, we I already talked to about loot, so maybe they can go first. Tim. Oh, I knew you were gonna call on me to go first. Hey, thanks for having us here. Uh, I I love the way you put it. Uh, loot had an explosion onto the scene. Loot changed the way people think about this ecosystem. Loot introduced a whole new concept around on-chain composable world building that's decentralized and fully permissionless and fully CCO. And so we're going to get into that a lot today. Uh, but who am I? Uh, in real life, I am uh, a dad of two kids. What else am I? Uh, I'm a builder. I'm a entrepreneur, I guess you could call. I'm a, somebody who loves to get involved and help spearhead and, and steer and breathe life into movements. Uh, I'm a tech co-founder, uh, and actually my company was acquired about a year ago, and so I've just uh, gotten to an interesting point where I've been able to pull up and out into way less of an operational role and more of a sort of advisor role, board vibe type role, which has given me a ton of time and energy to uh, throw myself full on into to Web3. And so where I'm at today, I am a Web3 new builder, uh, maybe an old builder, but a new Web3 builder, who's been full on nerd snipe by loot. Uh, who has been, or I have been, just so excited about w what loot means and what loot can become, and just this world we can all build together. And the, yeah, you know, it sounds cheesy, but the connections that we're making along the way, the human connections, even with pseudonyms around the world, uh, are just outstanding um, and and completely surprising to me. Um, and so I'm I'm a builder within the Lootverse. Uh, I am you know, an unofficial and de facto community leader for loot, uh, and I am. Uh, a tinkerer and a hacker and playing playing around with uh, what we can do to build projects within the Lootverse, but also build bridges across the Lootverse. Um, and how can we make loot, loot this sort of decentralized, uh, permissionless, and infinitely expansive, but, and this is the important part, still cohesive universe. Um, and so that's, that's the mission that I've been on, is to set up the foundation for loot such that everyone has a, a sort of solid and shared foundation to go build in infinite directions, but within a single universe or maybe like multiple parallel versions of a universe in the same you know, meta universe, 
Uh, but but so that loot is not just a bunch of fantasy words on a screen, but that loot, you know, just like Star Wars is a clear universe, or just like you know, the Marvel universe is a clear universe. Loot similarly has a set of foundational physics, a set of foundational principles, uh, a set of foundational ideas and constructs that we can then all go build in a million different directions, whether it's realms, whether it's crypts and caverns, whether it's loot characters, loot explorers, the rift. I mean, all these projects are building. Uh, what, what excites me and what gives me energy and why I'm here too is the idea of being able to help breathe life into this movement and to help build bridges between people and projects uh, as we world build together. So that's more than a, a quick intro, but that's me. Hello. Uh, and I guess I'll, I'll end by saying Tim Shell uh, is a pseudonym. Tim Shell is a, a word I picked up from a John, John Steinbeck book called East of Eden, which is incredible. And Tim Shell is a Hebrew word that means thou mayest which I just thought was a perfect metaphor for this ecosystem. Um, and so you, you hear me say that a lot, thou mayest, as in you know, everybody can just go build. There's no permission necessary. You don't have to ask anyone if you can go you know, work at that company or work on that project. A lot of this world is just permissionless and open and you know, thou mayest go build. I love that. And I now just realized out of a position, I just put loaf and three wave in by letting Tim go first. Um, <laughs> well, sorry, I'm, guys. <laughs> I'm introducing all of us collectively. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was great, Tim. Um, <laughs> Feel free to mute me along the way too. <laughs> yeah, move. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, every, everything Tim said. That's uh, so I'm 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 deep in that ecosystem, and Tim Tim puts it very well. So I'll let him speak about that stuff. But I come from a ten years of building in Web two, um, but I'm a all round engineer and a hacker, just fooling around with new technologies. Been in crypto for. Crypto long time crypto lurker and passive investor. Um, but six months ago, when loot popped, it sniped me, and I have been building the uh, Bibliotheca and uh, Realms um, project ever since then. Basically, what we're building is a, um, a MMO um, running on Starknet, which is a ZK rollup, um, and we're actually incorporating three waves. Um, Crips and cabins as well, so we're working very closely together. Um, so yeah, that's basically where I am uh, at this point. Cool, good to have you back. And if anyone wants to, you know, hear about Starknets and and the advantages of zk rollups, they should get in touch with Lord. Yeah, I'm sure, we'll, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, percent. All right, and then and then finally we have three wave, three wave. First time on the pod. Uh, super stoked to have you. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, my name's Threepwave, as mentioned. Um, I think Tim and Lord did great overviews of the Lootverse and all those things. So I'll just talk about myself briefly. Um, I'm also a builder at heart. Uh, I've been writing code since I was like five years old. Um, by day, I am a product manager at a big tech company you've probably heard of. Uh, and by evenings and weekends, I am also a father, recently a uh, father of two, um, and a surfer. And I spend a lot of time writing Solidity and now Cairo. Uh, so my baby in this world, uh, in my virtual world, is called Crypts and Caverns. And the idea uh, that Crypts and Caverns is 9,000 generative on-chain dungeon maps, um, which at its base level sounds not just super nerdy, which it is, uh, but also sounds really small, like just little maps for little dungeons. Is very doesn't sound like the uh, permissionless, limitless loot verse that we've been describing. And so the thing that got me excited and the reason I started there was I thought um, I saw loot pop on the scene and I've been trying to figure out like, what the hell should I build? 
I've been wanting to build something in Web3 for a while now. And I never had, I had some ideas. I have an art blocks collection that I've been working on, but nothing that really stuck out as like the thing I want to devote a substantial portion of time to. And when I saw uh, the idea that loot could be almost like an item bag for an RPG or a character, I didn't know what it was. I just knew there's something special there. And so my, my hypothesis was if loot is a really simple, tiny primitive that is composable, as team men- Tim mentioned, which means you can take it and plug it into a bunch of different other things to make bigger and better stuff, what would the other tiny primitives be in this space that would put, flesh out this universe, whether it's a game or a movie or whatever the heck we are all trying to build together? And so I broke down kind of like this idea of people, places, and things. And at the time, um, there were a lot of people thinking about people, meaning like, what does your avatar, your profile pic look like? We now have projects like loot explorers that are exploring that, et cetera. Then there were people thinking about um, things. So loot obviously itself was an object and an item. And a lot of people were making other types of items in this world. There were people making um, uh, different uh, weapons you could carry with you, et cetera, at least when loot launched. And so I thought the places area was really interesting. Where do we go? Where do we adventure? And for me, my background is in virtual reality and world building. And so that kind of fit nicely with my um, personal things I've been doing in my day-to-day job for the last uh, 15 or 20 years. So that's a long, long story to describe what got me excited about building something. And to give a slightly longer summary of what Crypts and Caverns is, it's a set of maps that live on the blockchain. Um, there is no human input other than the algorithm that I uploaded in the Solidity contract. So you, um, when you minted a map, you would go to the site, you would hit mint, just like a generative art. It took a random seed and it spit out a dungeon. Um, dungeons have a bunch of different forms. There are some that are made up of rooms and some that are almost burrowed out of tunnels. And the, the powerful thing to me is not that you have these little pixel art renditions of maps that I made um, that, you know, not the most beautiful art in the world, but it gets the job done. Uh, it's the underlying data. It's that if you wanted to define a floor plan, if you were building a game and you said, I want people to be able to hang out here, well, we're not just going to put people in a black void and let them just sit in space. So they need a place to walk around. They need a place to fly around. They need a place to hover around. Whatever that locomotion model is, they need a place. And so to me, the, the starting point of a place is where you can walk and where you cannot walk. So that would be a floor and a wall. And then I peppered in a couple other things that we call points of interest and doors just to give a little bit of flavor to the, um, to the maps. But it's a really simple data structure. It had input from a bunch of people in the loop community, including Dom. Um, and the idea is that any developer can take that and run with it and make, take these maps and build 3D worlds on top of them, 2D worlds on top of them, text-based worlds. But this will be just one simple piece, like a Lego, that when you take loot and some of these other things that people are building and combine it in there, it starts to build the foundation of a game or a world or a universe. So that's my intro, my project, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. I love that. Um, really seems to me, uh, with the people that I talk with in the Lootverse, everyone has their own little niche, the thing that they're good at. And then they see this whole new community, this this whole new universe um, on the blockchain, and they're like, hey, I can do this to add value to what, what's happening there. Um, and any, any, everyone can one, find a thing that they can do that adds value and no one can stop them from doing that. I really love that. As I said before, I've, in my other conversations, so I talk to people within and outside of the Lootverse, um, and a lot of people outside of the Lootverse that are, you know, very in touch with, with what's happening within Web3, a lot of them think that, you know, Loot was a failed project and the developers should have done some things different which always, always make me chuckle because there are no real loot developers or devs. Um, 
I, I'd like to give our listeners kind of a sense of, you know, what's happening and, and, and like how many people and how many projects there are currently. Maybe Tim, you, you can take this one. Like how do you describe the, the magnitude of what we're seeing today within the Loot First? Uh, right on. I mean, I'll start with what you said here. Uh, Loot is so unique and so different, I guess, from any other project that exists at this scale, that there is no team. There is no roadmap. There's not even really a treasury. There's a little bit of treasury from some royalties from OpenSea, but there's, you know, there was no fundraise. Loot was free. So when Loot launched, it was free. It didn't, didn't raise any money. Dom, when he launched it, didn't you know, earn anything from the launch. So even like a random cool kittens, funny farmers, whatever, 10K PFP collection, usually like charges something and get some money to go fund development forward. Um, and then obviously these bigger projects have much bigger organized treasuries and DAOs and uh, teams and roadmaps and plans and development cycles. Loot is so unique in that it has none of that. Loot has community. Loot has inspiration for a community. Uh, and Loot, at its core, is a foundational building block. So Loot is a you know, contract. It's an NFT collection that is a composable contract that everyone can build on top of. But Loot itself is, is incredibly pure in that sense. On the flip side, what that also means, though, is that Loot has no marketing. Loot has no media. Loot has no uh, community manager. Loot has no budget to put behind spreading the gospel of Loot. Uh, everything that's happening is through just sort of public good projects and people like us, too, uh, who are just excited about it you know, and who, who haven't been compensated by Loot um, and who aren't owners of Loot itself, though you know, we, we may have bought some Loot bags, but that's... You know, that's a different story. Uh, and so what's interesting about that is that it, when you look at the at loot itself, you don't just look at like the core loot. You look at the loot verse up and around it, built around loot and built on top of loot and built to expand loot. So when you look at what loot is, you have to look at the sum of all the parts. And the sum of all the parts are incredible. Uh, there was at the very beginning of loot, there were some of those like copy paste. Uh, quick little cash grab uh, fireworks projects that just sort of like popped up and then disappeared. And there were some also really nice projects that were like homages to loot. There's one called abstract art. That was like some cool art created out of loot. Uh, but it was like a one-time thing and it didn't really last. You know, it wasn't built as what I call a castle, like a castle that built foundation and walls and has a bustling society and you know has a, a plan and conviction. So from the beginning of loot, there wasn't much of that, but over the past few, I guess the past few months, uh, some projects from the beginning and some new projects have emerged as what I'm calling castles. Projects like Crypts and Caverns, like Realms, uh, like the project I built, Genesis Project, like Loot Explorers, like Divine DAO, and I, I can list off a bunch more of them. But what's unique about these projects is that they have teams, they have plans, they have visions, they have roadmaps, they have budgets to go uh, to go fuel those roadmaps forward. And they're all integrated back to the original loot contract. They're all pulling from the original loot contract. They're uh, connected canonically to the original sort of loot foundational constructs. And that collectively, all of these projects make up what we call the loot verse. So the loot verse, the biggest projects today are uh, Realms slash Biblioteca, which is Lord's World. Uh, Genesis Project, which is the project that I built with uh, Treppers and Holden, two other pseudonyms, which is a um, sort of a 
card trading distillation game to resurrect the most powerful characters of the loot verse. We can maybe come come back to that later because I'm not usually very good at shilling my own project, so maybe I should explain that one later. Um, it's there's one called Loot Swag that's a visualizer, and they've got a whole plan with contests and more. Uh, there's uh, a project called Banners that intends to create some more composable additional uh, stories and characters and societal constructs within loot. There's uh, Crypts and Caverns, which we just talked about. There's Loot Explorers, which is uh, sort of a cartoon vibes, but su- super serious project. Uh, if you go to the website, what is the website actually? Uh, I want to say it's lootexplorers.quest or something like that. Uh, yeah, lootexplorers.quest. You can see immediately. It just gives you good, good, warm, fuzzy feelings, but like cur- sort of cartoony visuals, but serious builders um, and serious plan to go build a game and a, and a world. Uh, there's a project called Hyperloot that's building serious, higher fidelity, but still composable CCO um, additions to the Lootverse. There's Divine DAO, which is a fueling station slash, uh, we call it like the Venice of Loot kind of. It's like a sort of incubator slash accelerator slash grant ecosystem to be able to, to support builders across this world. And I've gotten involved in that as well. Uh, there's a game called The Crypt, which is a 15-person team in the UK. Uh, just a sort of, I think it's actually the first like commercial game or like the first sort of quote traditional company who's building something inside the Lootverse. They just launched their first version of their game a couple weeks ago. Successful. Uh, everybody had a ton of fun, um, and now they're working on the next version of the game. Uh, there's a project called Loot LARP that's building physical loot project products, like physical loot swords and physical loot katanas and physical loot books that all have uh, NFCs and you know, other stuff inside them that allow them to be playable and connected to the internet, which is pretty amazing. And then there's just a bunch of other projects that just continue to kind of pop up and builders pop into the Discord and the community and say, hey, here's what I'm working on. You know, can I get help? Can I get uh, support? Can I get feedback? We do a weekly community call. Everyone does sort of a show and tell, uh, does updates on their projects. It's almost like a stand-up, uh, but a stand-up not just for the Lootverse, but also kind of a stand-up for the Hyperverse of just all these projects that people are working on, sort of inspired by Loot, in Loot, around Loot, on top of Loot, um, and in the spirit of Loot. So that's a lot that I just threw out. I'll stop there. But th- that would be my answer to that question of, like, where has Loot gone? Loot has turned into a Lootverse. Loot, you know, Loot is not just a, an open sea collection of 8,000 NFTs. Loot is the baseline for an ecosystem that's being built and a community of you know, extremely dedicated and extremely uh, intelligent people working in and around it. There's going to be a lot of links in the show notes for all of these different projects, but uh, I plan on putting them in there because uh, it's, it's worth checking them out. There's some really great stuff happening there. Um, and almost all of this should be at lootproject.com as well. Yes. Uh, almost all the links that I'm just talking about should be on the homepage. Yes. Um, so this podcast is mainly listened to by people within the games industry that are either you know coming from traditional game space or um, more Web3 space. Um, what are the kind of games we're seeing being built within the Lootverse? Um, and maybe, I don't know, three-way, you, are you familiar with um, any of the, the games that are being built? Um, and you want to talk about you know how it is to, to build stuff on-chain instead of you know being able to do it um, the traditional way? Yeah, I think Lord will be better equipped to talk about that. Maybe I can just give a supplemental answer to Tim's question while we wait for him to reconnect. Yep. Sure, go ahead. So 
I think the way that I've been looking at loot over the last, I mean, oh my gosh, it's been less than a year um, over since it launched is um, in the very beginning, as Tim mentioned, it was kind of like a scramble, almost like people were trying to figure out what the hell is loot. Well, excuse me, what the heck is loot? Um, what are we building? What do we do with this? And you saw, as Tim mentioned, a lot of copycats. Um, and so I would call that like the first phase of loot, which is like figuring out what it was, teams coming together, teams falling apart, everyone being angry about everything, et cetera. Um, and then the second phase, which was maybe the end of last year, was the projects that came together started to launch. And one of the unique things about loot that we see happen is that a lot of the builders building in loot don't talk to other builders. There are people out there building stuff on top of loot today that none of us on this call have ever met that will launch in a month or two and will blow all of our minds because it keeps happening over and over and over again. And so there's a bunch of teams out there building in silos, kind of doing their own thing. And at the beginning of the year, what I saw happen is myself, uh, Loaf, Tim, other people, we all started talking to each other. We started coming together. And now you start to see these projects being interwoven with each other. So you don't just have realms, you have realms working with Crypts and Caverns integration, talking with other teams about integrating more modules in the future. You have the different teams on Loot Explorers and Genesis Adventures, et cetera. Everyone's talking to each other. And so I think that it's a little bit unlike any project I've ever worked on because it's not just um, it's not just about a centralized team and a centralized roadmap. It's actually that anyone can do whatever the heck they want. And so you start to see people initially acting in their best interests and then realizing that over time when we come together, we can build something bigger and greater. And so the phase we're in right now to me is really exciting because we're seeing all these different teams pop up and they're not saying, I built this thing, give me my share of the pie and I'm going to leave. They're saying, like, if we think about the crypts, uh, the crypt game, they came online, they said, here's our game. We're really excited about it. Uh, we tested it, I think, in the Loot Town Square. Tim ran through a dungeon live, if I recall correctly. Then they came to me and came to a bunch of other projects and said, hey, how can we work together? And so to me, that's something that's really special that's happening when you take this combination of the composability of each of these projects, along with most of them typically using a really open licensing model, um, whether it be Creative Commons Zero or other things like that. The, the IP is open. The code is open source. And the projects are all starting to come together and work together. And to me, that's a really exciting shift in where Loot was. And part of the narrative of like, where is Loot headed to me is like, now that these great builders are coming together, we're going to start to see these projects exponentially improving on each other, which is one of the benefits when you start to stack these on-chain NFTs and projects together is the experience just expands and expands and expands and grows. And that leaves us with a big challenge, which Tim alluded to earlier, which is you now have all these builders building. How the hell do you keep this thing feeling like it's all one universe, feeling cohesive when I slapped a bunch of names in my contract, Realms has a bunch of names out there, there's a bunch of names all over the place, like which are the right names, how do they fit together, et cetera. And so that to me is the, the next challenge for us that we're starting to take on now is how do we actually turn this thing into a experience and a world that people from the outside can look at and it doesn't just feel like a jumbled bag of Legos that someone dumped out on the floor. It feels like something really awesome. And to use, this, to use Tim's metaphor again, like a castle assembled from subcastles that looks great and is fun. Can I build on that? Um, I think what the key is, is that loot itself acts as a solid foundation for other people to build castles on top of. That's what I'm really excited about. And that's what I've been spending a, mm -hmm. a ton of time on. That if the ground on which people build castles is always shaking or it's fluid or there is no ground at all or it just it's unclear what's even happening it's really tough to build a cohesive universe and that's a tough metaphor here 
but I guess I would just almost make a call to action. If for the few people who are listening to this and also building loot projects right now, which is you know, maybe not a huge crossover, but if there's even like one or two people who hear this podcast and you're working on something related to loot and you're not in the, the Discord and not talking to us yet, come join. There's so much order and structure and uh, advice and sort of foundational building blocks that we've all collectively both derived from the contract and also collectively canonized as a community now. It's not that you need to go do those things. You can go do anything you want. You know, you can make loot into a sci-fi game. You can make a, you know, whatever. You can do anything you want with loot because it's permissionless. But if you intend to do something that feels like it's part of the loot verse and you want to... Uh, weave together with the existing universe that's been built the community is incredibly welcoming and so if you pop in there's just a, a ton of information and support and advice and other builders who can both help with like technical stuff but also help with just lore and sort of foundational physics and foundational building blocks um, i've been working on that through what i call the loot foundation if you go to loot.foundation the website i've been starting to publish some stuff that's like the the intro on ramp to the foundational principles of loot it starts with just loot but my intention here is that as more things get canonized like realms like crypts and caverns like you know genesis adventures like whatever you know the rift whatever comes next that we as a community can build loot foundation up so that it becomes the almost like a canonical guidebook for the whole loot verse uh, but what it is today is the foundational principles from the original contract things like uh, the character, three character classes of uh, hunters and mages and warriors that were hidden inside the contract. The orders, there's 16 orders hidden in the contract. The item rankings, it turns out there was a hidden set of item rankings inside the contract. So off the bat, people I don't think fully realized how rich the loot contract was. But the loot contract itself has a rich set of principles and physics built right inside of it. So yeah, that's that's my call to action to the you know, one or two people who are like, yeah, I am building a loot project and this is interesting jump in. There's some really interesting foundational physics and principles and constructs that uh, I think can help you build your project. Mm -hmm. You talked about, you know, things being ca canon in Lootverse uh, and things were not. Who decides on these things? Uh, so far, nobody. Uh, and th that's why I tried to frame loot.foundation as like something that I made. It's not like loot made it because loot doesn't have any arms or ears mm -hmm. or, you know, fingers or ability to do anything. Their loot itself is sort of a, a non-entity. Uh, so this is more like Tim Shell's canon, I guess. But the way that I'm thinking about this is that I'd like to be mm -hmm. able to create a uh, what we've been calling an LDK. This is actually a, an amazing community member named Loot Hero, coined that phrase. A lore development kit. <laughs> so that just like an SDK that people can nice. hang apps off of that share some principles and share some like, you know, just guide rails, then you can break the SDK, but if you want to use the SDK, it makes things easier. An LDK is a set of foundational principles that give people starting points. Uh, I don't want to say define, because again, anyone's free to do anything, but loot in the contract does have some principles. So if somebody wants to say, hey, I like the idea of loot, I'm going to go build a game uh, where bananas fight apples with swords. Cool. Uh, but if you want to make it a loot game, I would say, like, tie it to the original loot contract. And in the original loot contract, it's not just an idea. It is a composable contract that has structure and has a lot of, like, really defined principles inside of it. So maybe my analogy is weird there. 
but it, there's just a lot of there's a lot of canon in the contract itself. So that was the first point here is like let's surface the con- the canon from the contract. But then as we as a community start to like discover more or you know feel like there's more canon that's happening naturally, what I'd like to do is create lore development kits so that someone can say, "Hey, I'm going to build off of this LDK." And maybe there's five LDKs. There's an LDK that goes one branch and there's an LDK that goes another branch and there's an LDK that goes another direction. But I think by organizing them and structuring them and surfacing them to builders and creators, it allows people to make a more conscious decision to say, I'm going to weave myself into the loot verse or I'm going to contradict the existing LDKs or the you know contradict the existing canon of the loot verse or I'm going to build my own LDK and then my project will be the first app on top of that LDK. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Three, we haven't really talked about that, but what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with that. And I just, the, the one thing that always gets me is this idea of canon um, and who is the person that knights the canon items or who is the person that says these are all canon. I think, I think a lot of people get hung up on that. And I'll offer my counterpoint, which is that um, the community decides what is canon. Tim is a voice in the community. He's not the voice of the community. I am a voice in the community. So is Loaf. So are a bunch of other people that are um, attend the town squares, that talk, talk in the Discord, other builders. And, and for me, I'm less interested in whether someone tells me that there was a DAO vote with 260 loot bags that say Crypts and Caverns is now approved to be a loot project or something like that. Like, I, that's not a future I'm super excited about. The future I'm excited about is what's happening now, which is that when a project launches, they share their idea and the community either gets excited about it or they don't. And the builders get excited about it or they don't. And just like when CryptoPunks launched, um, no one said that CryptoPunks would be like the definitive PFP collection that everyone would model their PFP after. But it happened because it was a cultural movement that happened and people embraced it. And no one said that Board Ape Yacht Club would be the NFT that celebrities collect. And it's the way to show off if you're a football player or a hip hop artist, but it has become that way. And so I look at the, like, what is, are the pieces of loot the same way? What do the builders adopt and start building is one measure of like what fits in the loot verse. Another measure is, um, as Tim mentioned, like how closely are you following the contract? And there are places you can follow closely, places you can't. We can have a larger philosophical discussion about that. And then the third is just, is the community members, are the community members adopting these projects? Are they adopting this lore? Are they excited about it? Or does everyone say, hey, guys, we got to get rid of this idea. It just doesn't work. Let's come up with something new. And so I'm personally less interested in consensus voting or uh, formal processes by which we knight something as canon. I'm excited about the way things have come together now, which is that you have this kind of groundswell of excitement. And that's what's pushing the, the loot projects in different directions. If no one uses a project, no one integrates it, then maybe it's not the right project. Or maybe it is the right project a little further out. And so that's the way that I've seen this community ebb and flow that for me with I kind of like open source ethos and um, kind of background being born almost on the internet, I really like that process and how it's playing out. It may break down as we get bigger, but at least for the time being, it's allowed me as a builder to feel like I can be accepted. I can show up, I can show my project to the group and everyone gets excited about it. And that's one of the best feelings in the world is to feel like you've found a place and a community that accepts you and accepts that idea that you put out in the world. Can we keep building on this thread? I think it's really cool and important. Um, and three, this is a conversation that you and I um, have near and dear to hearts because even our like intro to each other was about this yep. general topic. Uh, the way I'm mm-hmm. thinking about this is that the word intentionality comes to mind and that if somebody builds a new loot project, 
even if it's totally unconnected to all the existing loot projects and all the existing loot constructs and it doesn't have any reference points to anything in loot i would still hope that 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 builder would say i had intentionality in my project and here's how my project mm -hmm. ties back to loot it might be a completely new interpretation of loot you, know, you guys went up down you know or up left and right but i just went down um you know my my loot project is yeah something that no one's even begun to think about yet and I'm actually going to build an entirely new composable you know, LDK for my own contract. And I get, or not, not my own contract, but for my own project. It's okay, I guess, if someone wants to build a single node out in the universe and say, look, nobody is allowed to touch my project or work around my project or compose on top of my project or reference my project. But I think the vibe of loot is generally that a project in, intends to be weaved into a wider set of ecosystems. Um, and so I would hope that we fast forward a year and we'll actually have a, a set of LDKs. And I think Crypts and Caverns is a cool example. You can now work backwards and say, okay, if somebody wanted to use Crypts and Caverns in their projects, here are the set of principles you know, that are like canonical principles within Crypts and Caverns. But also here's how that fits into the loot verse so that it's not just Crypts and Caverns period, but here's the, the thread back to the loot contract. And like, here's the path that it took and like, where the crypts and caverns exist in loot, or why they exist in loot, or how they exist in loot. I think bringing that intentionality is helpful uh, because some of the early projects, you can just skim down the loot project website. You know, if you go to lootproject.com and you click on the resources page, for whatever reason, we decided to keep all the old projects from the first couple of weeks. And there's some weird stuff in there that had no intentionality. It was just like astrology for loot and banquets for loot and uh, colors for loot and crafts for loot. Yeah, I mean, there's also like some NF, uh, NFSW versions of stuff for loot where it didn't have intentionality back to like why and how it's part of the loot verse. It was just like, it's a thing. It's in fantasy land. You know, this is also fantasy. So I, I don't know if I'm saying that that well, but my goal here is to try to help builders sort of paint the picture of like how they weaved into the loot verse. And if it takes a whole different path, that's totally cool. And then maybe other people say, cool, I want to go on that path too. Yeah, I love that. And the best thing you did for me was, as you mentioned, like we had some introductory calls and you basically said like, hey, your project is great. We understand what you're trying to do. Like, let's figure out how you, like, let's help you figure out how you fit into loot first. Because my intention was to be in loot. Um, and it was really great to have the people who are living and breathing this loot contract and all the lore every day, be able to reach out with me and open with like, accept me with open arms and then say like, hey, I'm going to help you write that thread. Oh, you got stuck here. I'm going to help you figure out how to tie that knot, how to make your story cohesive, how to make it all fit in. And I think that's something really powerful that doesn't get talked about a lot. It happens a lot kind of behind the scenes, indirect message threads. But I personally mm -hmm. found that as something really unique mm -hmm. about this community. Yeah, and it can be awkward too, because we felt that at the beginning. It was like, but wait, my project's done. Like now I have to work backwards. And I don't have to work backwards, but it'd be cool to work backwards <laughs> yep. and tie it back to loot. Yep. Uh, I think a lot of times lore can be the filler and lore can be the tissue that ties it together and some of the lore can be simply just and we don't know just like humanity we don't know every connective thread between every point a to point b in history we don't know all the history of what happened before the cavemen like we don't know every society that's ever existed in the history of you know humankind and the same thing can be true for the loot verse so i think it's totally fine if some projects say hey our lore includes a dark period where you know, we know where loot we know like that 
there's some foundational physics of loot because there's a loot contract and there's loot items and there's loot NFTs and there's this loot yeah, you know, math behind all the contract behind all the items. But in our lore, maybe our lore just has a, a hole in it and we don't know. Part of our lore is the acceptance that we don't know some of the ties and that's totally fine too. Hearing you guys speak makes me realize um, comparing that to the rest of what I see on, you know, NFT Twitter, that's the Lootverse people are like, you know, <laughs> 500 levels deeper than the rest, where the others are just talking about price, uh, uh, price you guys are talking about, you know, foundational lore, uh, tying it back to the OG contracts um, and seeing how it all fits together. Really fascinating. Yeah, the word is, I think, world building. It's almost like micro world building and meta world building. The micro world building is this incredibly geeky stuff that Threep and I are talking about, like how the, the concept of greatness works inside the loot contract and how, you know, what, what was the meta timeline that drove the loot verse. But then the you know, meta world building is that we're all doing this together and we're sort of building a world together, you know, building this sort of like, multi, maybe it's multiple par parallel universes inside this, you know, quote world. Uh, but that's what's so fun about loot. Most NFT projects aren't building a world together. They're, like you said, you know, it's a, a single game or it's a PFP project with you know some fun little contests along the way or something. Uh, but loot has collectively sort of nerd sniped so much of us, so many of us into this universe to go like build a world together, which also comes with challenges because world building alone is hard. Uh, but world building in a decentralized, permissionless and uh, unfunded way is insane. I was like, um, it feels like doing it fully decentralized with no one authority makes it, you know, way harder even, um, but also allows it to grow way bigger, right? Because um, the creativity of a thousand people is always more than uh, what one person can come up with. I can at least talk about like what's possible on chain in games and like what's happening. I can't speak to like which games are being built right now. But I can at least talk to like the challenges that we see and the advantages that we see when we are digging into like the level we are with the type of games we're building. Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in, in learning um, more about that. Yeah, sure. Please go ahead. Okay, cool. So um, when we think about building games on chain, uh, if I take a step back and I think about how do I build a traditional game um, without a blockchain, typically what I would do is my architecture would look something like uh, I would set out to say I have these um, characters, they can take these actions. I have this place that you can explore. Um, I would decide if we're thinking about an adventure game, for example, an RPG, I would make decisions like, does my game logic happen on the client or the server? And I would make decisions like, what can each player see? How do they communicate with each other at a network layer level? And how do they communicate with each other at an in-game level? Um, and so I'll talk a little bit about how that differs when we think about building a game on-chain. Um, there's a lot of benefits to building on chain. So if I think about some of the things that you get with the blockchain that I always wished I had when I was building games and worlds, um, there is a ledger, a shared ledger that can contain tokens, meaning in-game currency or items that is open and available to all projects. And it is truly interoperable, meaning I can easily take a item from one project as long as it Apply, it follows some standard like an ERC-721, which is NFTs, I can send that over to another project. I can take a token from Realms and I can send that to someone in the Board Ape Yacht Club and they can plug it into their Board Ape Yacht Club game. And so the items in and objects in this blockchain world are super composable and super interoperable. It's very easy for one contract to even call another. So you can actually almost have your game server, which is your backend, 
directly call the game server of another project, which um, from my experience, unless you build really custom built APIs is really hard to do in the traditional game world. Um, and in addition, there because everything works on tokens and tokens typically have monetary value, it's very easy to figure out what your economy looks like. Uh, it's very easy to tie that into a broader economy, which is the Ethereum economy or the Solana economy, et cetera. And so you have a lot of um, interoperable, you have a lot of benefits from taking, from everything having real world value. People can instantly understand how much something is worth. They can then share that to someone else and talk about it openly. They can calculate it on chain using tools that exist. And so those are, from my perspective, two big advantages to building games on chain, things you get almost for free. And the third is that with this ledger, you have an authoritative um, history of where an object was created. It can have scarcity built in, and you can then track who has traded it back and forth. So one of the challenges I always see with, um, if we think about something like a Roblox or VR chat, is that they have to keep track of like who created this object and who did they trade it with. And if I say I created this little pizza in uh, Roblox and I want there only to be 10 pizzas because it's three ways, magical mushroom pizza, making only 10 pizzas that can then be traded around the world is actually a really challenging engineering problem. And so those things all come more or less for free with the blockchain. Um, and for each of those benefits that you get, there is an equal and opposite downside to using the blockchain. Uh, so the blockchain is authoritative. It has this long ledger that you can query at any time, which means that everything is slow because that ledger is distributed across the entire world. And so all the things that you get from that, being able to figure out when did this person decide, when did this person create it, who created it, et cetera, um, means that writing anything to chain, waiting for a transaction to happen, you have to wait for it to then sync up across all those computers across the world. So any transaction you do, at least on a layer one, meaning Ethereum, is typically going to be very slow. Uh, you can Users can wait anywhere between 10 seconds and a minute to get their transaction back. Um, second is that tra that transaction can be expensive. Um, in particular, where it applies to games is storing things is expensive. It's actually quite cheap to do calculations, to cheap, uh, simple calculations, and to read things from the blockchain. It's when you want to modify storage, it starts to cost a lot of money to every single user playing the game. And so the reason that applies to the games in the loopverse, at least, or the way that becomes challenging is if you want to build, um, so one game I'm excited about building is a really simple dungeon crawler. I have it spec'd out. I have a prototype working. It works on chain. But storing state whenever a player or modifying state whenever a player takes an action is incredibly, incredibly expensive. It can cost between $50 and $200 US dollars to do a simple state modification where you flip a couple bits on and off. And for if you imagine a game like Ultima Online, the number of decisions a player is taking in a minute, they're probably making you know, 50 moves a minute, 30 moves a minute. You cannot write all that to the chain. Even on the most sophisticated layer two technology, et cetera, which I'm sure Lord of a Few can expound on. Um, and so you run into these challenges where you just can't store all the state. You can't keep track of all the player movements. You can't say this player moved from tile A to B to C unless you want a one to two minute round trip server storage on blockchain to verify that that happened. And then you want them to use it to pay every single time they move a square in your game, you want them to pay 50 bucks. And so those challenges to me are the big ones that we're facing right now. And there's a lot of solutions popping up like people moving to layer twos, which is something we're going to talk about, et cetera. Um, but I don't think anyone has actually solved how to make a reasonably fast paced game 
in a way that is cheap on chain. You see the games that are semi-successful. Like if you look at, um, I think the game is called Dark Forest, which is a planetary exploration game. They purposely designed the game to be slow. You're taking turns that can take minutes or days. You're doing actions and you only have a couple actions per day or a couple actions per week. And they do that because they want to be able to store that state on chain because it is slow and expensive. And the final thing that I think as a game developer for me is the real nail in the coffin today to making great games is that there is no true random number generation. And if you think about how many things in games use random number generation from procedurally generating things to attacking a monster to deciding whether you live or die in a scenario to deciding which card you get when you open a card deck, um, most games rely on some form, uh, most modern games rely on some form of random number generation. The beauty of the Ethereum blockchain, for example, is that it is a shared virtual computer. It exists across a number of computers. Any user can query the state of that blockchain and the contents of it at any time. But what that means is that all users have all knowledge at all times. It is impossible to do something secretly, which means that any time you want to have, let's just say, a simple dice roll, someone can build what's called a flashbot. They can pay a little bit of extra money to front run the next transaction and guarantee that that dice will always roll a 20 time and time again. And from my perspective, this is an unsolved problem. People have clever solutions. There's ways to make it really hard to predict that on-chain randomness. But I have not seen, even with Chainlink, which is a popular solution, a way to have a truly, um, truly random situation that is not predictable because everyone has all knowledge at all times. So that to me is kind of a very extensive, I was trying to say high level, it was probably a deeper summary that people want of the challenges and the benefits to making games on chain right now. In particular, the challenges are it's slow, it's expensive, and every single thing is public. And so those are the things that we are working through as we think about designing the games. And those are almost the constraints that we have as we think about probably the next year of games before we get to layer two technology, which will make transactions cheaper and faster, before we get to layer three technology, which will make things even cheaper and faster. So those are the constraints we're working with today. It's really fascinating and also well explained. And I think this is going to be really useful for uh, a lot of people listening. So thanks for that. Man, I just took a bunch of notes, Three. I'm actually uh, teaching a Cal class later today about composable, decentralized world building and uh, I guess just sort of intro to the hyperverse uh, at Cal Berkeley. And I have my slides open for it. And I just took a bunch of notes from what you just said. So I almost want to invite you to come co-present with me, but maybe they'll invite me back to a second one and I'll make you my co-teacher. That would be awesome. I'd love that. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, because with all the limitations that you said, you have games like um, Gods Unchained or like just general trading card games that you know don't have a massive amount of transactions. Um, where it would make like it's possible to have a trading card game that lives entirely on the blockchain. Um, similarly, a game like chess would also be something that that works. Um, are you telling me, Threep, that I should not accept uh, expect a you know massive multiplayer online RPG um, where I can walk around and, and and do cool stuff with my friends, um, which is entirely on chain? I think um, I think it's possible. I think there are people out there who are smarter than me that will make that happen. Um, the, the pattern that I've seen thus far, and I think if I recall correctly, this is what the crypt is doing. I don't recall for sure, but um, 
a lot of games are starting to use their own game server as a middleman. So imagine if instead of every action being written to the chain directly by the user, which is what's typically happening in um, when you mint an NFT today, you personally are saying, I sign this transaction from my wallet to this contract. I'm interacting directly. They're introducing a game server like you would have in a traditional game. That game server sets the constraints of what's possible. And the game server might say, for example, you have, you're playing chess, you have a knight, and your knight can move to these specific locations. You would then interact with the game server, and the game server will interact with the contract on your behalf and store some, almost like a roll-up of all the different turns you've taken. Um, it doesn't solve the expensive issue. I bet game servers can be clever about which transactions they submit, which data they submit, but it does start to give you some basic random number generation. It starts to give you some basic ability to put constraints in place around what the user can do and to give you real-time reactions or real-time a real-time experience. Um, I have not seen anyone launch one of those games at the scale at which we're talking about, and I have not seen how it works over time. So I think it'll be interesting to see a bunch of these games launch. I suspect some of them will work, some won't. But I do think that that's the pattern we'll start to see adopted is users submit transactions to a, ser- a game server, game server submits transactions on-chain to enable some of these more uh, fast-paced or more real-time experiences where the players have a lot of agency. Until those patterns are in place and people have figured that out, we're probably going to see a lot of things like card games, space exploration games. Maybe the best metaphor is if you um, are old enough, as I am, to remember uh, BBS door games back in the day or the type of games you could play on AOL and Prodigy when those services first came out. The number of interactions and turns you could take were very rudimentary almost like a, an adventure game where you can say, I move up, down, left, right. And it, maybe you can do that, but it returns an answer in 30 seconds. I think we'll see that level of fidelity of games from an interaction standpoint. And people will dress them up with beautiful graphics and cutscenes and things like that. But I suspect at least for the next six months to a year, those are the types of interactions you're going to see in online games. And I would love for someone to prove me wrong, send me a link and make me look like a buffoon. Because mm-hmm. if someone can solve that, uh, it's going to make all of our lives easier. Hundred percent. Yeah, and I think um, I think it's important to realize that most of the people, like games that are currently, um, you know, saying that they're going to be building AAA experiences on the blockchain, um, should realize that a large part of what they're doing is not happening on chain, um, and only a subset of what actually constitute constitutes the game is truly on the blockchain. Usually, just a storage of of of, of NFTs and assets. Um, but yeah, I'm very curious to see where this evolves because I can, uh, you know, there's these quotes of, you know, the founder of IBM saying that, or no, the, the, like the, the CEO of IBM saying that there's only room for five computers in the whole world. You know, these experts that didn't know or didn't realize the, the potential of this new technology. And I hope the uh, same will happen with blockchain tech so we can, uh, you know, I can run in my virtual loot world with my friends and my, my awesome gear that I got out of my loot bags. Yeah, I think that... Um in the short term, so with any new medium, there's always limitations. Those limitations, when used well, create beautiful games. Mm. And so if you look at, um, so I'm more familiar with virtual reality. So there were a lot of experiences early on where you could do really simple things. You couldn't even move your head around. You could basically turn left and right with your head. You had no hands, etc. But there were some really fun games that were created during that time, or maybe little experiences that really took advantage of those things you do have. Um, Similar with on mobile, if you think about Angry Birds, which was one of the first games to kind of break out on mobile, um, the game is not that complex. It's really simple. 
it's not a real-time first-person shooter like we have now. It's just a really simple drag, let go, and an action happens um, game. And so I do think that there will be um, desi- game designers who use the medium incredibly well, who work within those constraints. I think we're already starting to see very early glimpses of that with some of the staking games that exist, with some of the kind of like um, arbitrage and um, Ponzi scheme games that are out there. And I think that someone will figure out what are the constraints of this medium? How do we take those and take them, instead of looking at them as a crutch, how do we make, how do we look at them as something that is a, or a limitation? How do we look at those as something that's a benefit? How do we really lean into those challenges and make a great game? Um, I hope it's someone in the loop first, but I think a couple of people will figure that out in the near term. They just might be slower paced games than we're used to. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you hit the nail on the head. I fully agree. Um, and one of the cool things is that if someone figures it out, even if it's not within the lootverse, nothing's stopping us from, you know, taking inspiration and, and making it happen here as well. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at the time. We we still, yeah, I can I can throw in like one more question. I have a ton extra. Maybe we need to do a part three as well. Um, I'm some of my conversations. People ask me like um, when we're talking about loots, they're asking me, well how can you expect um, something to, you know, be popular if only 8,000 people can actually be involved? Um, And so my question to you guys is, how do you see or how do you plan on getting the loot first to the masses or the masses to the loot first? Uh, Tim, maybe you can uh, start this one off. Sure. Uh, Maybe I'll use the word constraints that Threep just threw out too. He's talking about constraints in terms of game development and constraints in terms of manifesting a fun game uh, using the constraints of the blockchain. I'll use the word constraints to jump off on this point. If loot can become the foundation for this infinitely expansive uh, but yet still sort of constrained and cohesive world that we're going to build together, it'll manifest as games, but it'll also manifest as media and content and collaborative experiences and collaborative media and the outputs of the lootverse, the games that can be played, the media that can be experienced, whether that's like books, movies, content, stories, lore, choose your own adventures, uh, collaborative art, etc. All of that can expand to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. Same way that uh, you know, a Game of Thrones, a Star Wars, uh, Dune can be sort of constrained foundations for a world but that world can go in infinite multimedia directions. Loot can also provide the constraints for a world, uh, provide the constraints that say, hey, here are some of the fundamental physics of this world defined by you know, the original contract and devi- defined by some of the stuff that just is on chain and is clearly now you know, the core sort of foundational principle of loot. We can then go build up and out to reach people around the world, to reach sort of a, a new generation of people who are you know, sort of just coming online and coming into their own as builders and as entrepreneurs and as creators and you know, creatives and say, this is something that you can come build within and that you're not you're not applying for a job with loot. You're not applying to you know, go work on Star Wars or go, go work at HBO and try to build you know, another version of Game of Thrones. Loot is permissionless. And so one of the things that's so exciting to me is that the experience of loot today, uh, of course, is the builders. And it's this, you know, this deep experience of building together. But I do think that even in the long run, when you get millions of people involved who are just experiencing loot, I think we can carry that thread all the way through so that the people who are experiencing loot 
through the form of, you know, like I said, movies, books, games, stories, you know, websites, interactive experiences, etc., that they also have a, a tinge of that feeling that they also own loot and that they also are building loot together with us and that that sort of collaborative creation and that collaborative world building doesn't just stop at the door and then we push stuff out the door but that the doors are open and that everybody is sort of permissionlessly building this world together. Yeah, I think the thing I would add to that is like I don't this is my personal implementation my personal interpretation. I don't I don't know if anyone else shares this view, but I don't see those loot bags as like the inventory that you're going to equip on your character and walk into a dungeon and hack and slash some stuff. Um, I interpret them a little more as almost like item factories. If you look at what um, Tim did with the Genesis project, the loot bags actually create new items. And uh, I think you called them mana. I'll let Tim, you can talk more about that. But I think that we'll see more and more projects spin up that look at those original loot bags as I like the word use physics, defining the physics of the universe. And then those bags can then be used to spawn new things. I don't know what all those things will be yet, but that's the way I look at it. Um, and so I think a lot of these different composable pieces will start to see, sure, like, like honestly, like I can barely afford a loot bag. I have one, I have like one loot bag. I'm really happy it has a plus one in it. Um, but I don't think anyone, everyone can walk out and buy one of those off the street. But I do think that we can look at those as a foundational piece that starts to spawn new things over time. I think saying you must have a loot bag to play is a non-starter no matter what. We have to be appealing to millions of users and billions of users, probably that don't trade in the U.S. dollar, and we can't be selling, you know, five thousand, ten thousand dollar NFTs and expect them all to have one. So I think that that constraint to to continue using that word will be relaxed. I can guarantee that for most of these experiences, you won't have to own a loot bag in order to play. One thousand percent. Let me weave into that. Um, you use the word factory, like the loot bag is a factory for items. Uh, I, I like that. I've been using the word fountain. That loot is like a fountain. The bag, if you have the bag, it emits items. You can distill items from it. Um, and also that bag, we can define other things. That's a Within the lore, the loot bag maybe contains more than just eight items. And maybe we just need to discover the other things that are inside of it as we build this world together. Uh, but so I just want to re reiterate the concept of the loot bag as a, a factory or a fountain that we will be distilling more items from. That distillation is happening in the Genesis project from which we're distilling this sort of mana, like distilling this Genesis, I call it Genesis mana from the oldest items in the loot verse and then recreating some of the earliest bags or like the earliest bags carried by, carried by the earliest adventurers of the loot verse and then playing a game to resurrect those characters. That's one angle. The other is what Realms is doing in the Realms game. It's going to be a distillation contract that distills your items from your loot bag into similar items, but similar items with a small twist that individual items can be traded and individual items uh, can then be composed with each other and crafted with each other to create other items. Uh, and so I, I just want to reiterate and agree, plus one, plus two, plus three to that concept that the loot bag emits a fountain of items and a fountain of stuff that can be used across the ecosystem. And some of that stuff may end up being free. Like, the, the way to engage with the loot verse in entry point can easily be free to play. But the, the second thing I want to throw out is that when you think about what the loot bag is, because 3P introduced that question, like, what is the loot bag? When you think about what the loot bag is, when I see loot, I see through so much constraint the seeds of an entire world and an entire timeline. Even just the word loot alone. 
like the word loot alone, even though it's four letters, carries so much meaning. Like loot alone means somebody once had this, somebody probably lost this, somebody else found it, and somebody else considers it to be valuable and uh, just a, a shade of treasure, or I don't know what the word would be, but just a shade of like, oh, I didn't just find a, you know, a bag of bananas on the ground. I wouldn't call that loot, but like, wow, I'd pick something up, and there's something sparkling here. There's something special about this. You know, I found a bag of loot. What is this? And then as you open it up, and you look inside, and you look at the items inside that loot bag, the way that the items work, and the way the original contract works, suggests story seeds up and down an entire history. Story seeds that go all the way back to the beginning of time that suggest there was once you know, a beginning, once a Genesis era, once a you know, very beginning of this loot-verse timeline, and then all the way to the future that suggests sort of some hidden lore and some hidden stories yet to be told um, inside the original contract. So I don't want to get like too geeky with that, but this is almost like... Um, I don't know, opening up like the the Bible or something and trying to derive meaning out of it. But there's a, a lot of meaning inside of it, including even inside the contract, there are hidden stories and hidden words that haven't even manifested into loot bags yet. And that even across you know a million more loot bags still wouldn't be manifested into loot bags. But the words are there, they're in the contract. There's you can see them in plain sight on the blockchain. And so even something like that suggests lore to be discovered, stories to be discovered. So again, when I look at the loot bags, even though they're simple, I see them as a an invitation to go build a world, but also the seeds of that world and the seeds and some of the scaffolding and some of the foundational principles that aren't just open-ended to anything, but actually are already defined. Um, and so my mission has been to both surface those up and out, to share them with the world, to explain them, um, and to put them in a format that other people can can grok and understand and then go build sort of infinite creative stuff on top of. I feel like we could keep jamming on this for hours, but uh, I'm going to have to call it now, unfortunately. So uh, Tim and Threep, thanks for joining. Loaf, Lord of a Few, he uh, he was on for a bit, but uh, unfortunately Australian internet um, did him in. And um, I, yeah, uh, okay. I just see <laughs> Threep Wave wants me to tie up um with the final question all right i'll I'll do that um let me just restart just after tim shell finished um that's really cool uh tim thanks thanks for sharing that um as a final question um for this episode because i see it's already you know getting a long one um what is next for loot um i'm curious to know you know what you guys are up to where you see this going um threep you want to take this yeah, I'll share the maybe the builder perspective. And I think Tim has a bunch of things he's working on. But um, the thing that's on my mind that I see happening, the, almost a broader trend happening with loot right now is a lot of the builders are starting to look to um, layer two chains to solve a lot of the problems that I mentioned, or at least to make it cheaper, make it faster to do transactions. Um, Realms has been taking the lead, moving to StarkNet. Um, they have plotted out a course. Lord of a Few has been pitching this for months. Um, and they are actively building on StarkNet, which is a layer two, as we mentioned at the beginning, a ZK rollup or ZK rollup. Um, a lot of us on the, on the builder side are following that journey. And so I'm bringing Crips and Caverns to StarkNet. There's a number of other building builders coming together in the Discord to say, hey, how do we bring our projects over here to reduce the uh, transaction fees, to make it faster, so we can get to that next million users uh, playing these experiences. And so from a builder perspective, 
There's a journey happening to StarkNet right now. Not everyone is on the boat moving to StarkNet, but a bunch of us are starting to bring our projects over and figure out what that looks like so that as StarkNet moves into beta, we can be there on day one. And I'll let Tim talk to more what's going on at his end. I love that as maybe an end cap. I don't know, I guess you called on me, so I'll I'll make a comment here. Uh, But most importantly is where we're building. So maybe disregard some of what I'm going to say. The most important is that we build together in a way that's sustainable and and I guess most importantly, together. Uh, But one thing that I would say here that is really exciting about just sort of the the broader movement in Loot is that Loot has gone through this ebb and flow of explosion and excitement to chaos to some silliness to a little bit of a lull to then this building period of just builders building and projects launching and projects succeeding and projects scaling. and I'd say over the past two months or so, we've entered a period of sort of unification again, coming back around these principles, coming back to the idea that the loot contract does carry a lot of the foundational principles for us to be able to to weave weave into and use as fodder to weave together with all these other projects. Uh, but I think the next stage for loot is going to be one of coordination and action and maybe like non-consensus decisiveness and actually just loot itself starting to take action to improve loot itself. Because that's the one thing that hasn't happened since the beginning of loot. Loot launched on August 27th. And since August 27th, the loot contract hasn't been updated. There hasn't been another sort of core loot V2 launched. There hasn't been a core loot stats contract, a core loot distillation contract, a core you know, loot bridge to StarkNet. You know, all the sort of core loot stuff uh, has has all been, I don't know, in some ways like paralyzed by the permissionlessness of loot. So we've gone wild and gone gone and built on top of and around loot. You know, I've gone and built a, a project, this Genesis project. Threep has built Crypts and Caverns. Lord has built Realms. There's, you know, 20 other amazing projects and another 100 projects too that have kind of you know, come and gone. But all those projects have been like up and around loot. None of those projects have been loot itself improving, again, loot itself. And so I think the, there will be a turning point pretty soon where there's starting to be some seeds planted for the community saying like, hey, we don't have to just work around loot. What if we took action and actually improved loot itself? What if we made a loot too? What if we made a loot that has uh, some more of the canon now we've backed inside of it, or even just some cleanup of uh, the composable pieces, or is teed up for the distillation contract and the distillation model in a better way? So I think you will start to see some beginnings of the idea of like building, building and expanding and advancing loot itself, which to me is pretty exciting. Uh, plus, there's also some really cool movement right now around the you know the biggest loot holders and just all loot holders, being able to tribute bags and participate in the creation of a loot advancement DAO that could truly advance loot and the the ecosystem with token swaps and grants and accelerator programs and distribution and just things to take more action to help builders in the lootverse. So I'd say over the coming you know month or so, you'll probably see some news and some excitement around that. Uh, and that's that's to me a pretty big change in loot. We're going to have to do it gently. And we're going to have to be careful with it because loot does have sort of a je ne sais quoi magic to it uh, and we don't want to upset that but also loot as a community starting to take action uh, 
this feels like you know the time for that and I'm, I'm pretty excited to be part of that and help shepherd and steer and you know breathe life into the loot verths both outside of loot but also sort of at the heart of it itself that's awesome can't wait to see what happens within this magical universe um all right we're way over time tim threep thank you guys so much for joining um unfortunately you know lord of a few dropped with his terrible australian internet but um lord if you hear, listen to this thank you as well listener thank you so much for listening to this i hope you enjoyed I hope you are as inspired as we are by this whole new thing that doesn't even exist for a year not even for what is it eight months um if you're building the loot sp loot space and you're not yet talking to the rest of the community, make sure you do. And if you want to build within the loot verse, just do it. Um, thou mayest. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. This was the Metacast, and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. <laughs>